never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that just barely avoided getting hit by the Mack truck driven by a nine-year-old. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. Hey, man. What's up? Uh, I'm good. How has your week? How's yeah. your week been? It's pretty good. It's, uh, yeah, I feel like I've done absolutely nothing, but it's just flown by, so I must have kept myself busy <laughs> somehow. Uh, how about you? Um, it was busy and short, and, um, yeah. Uh, good times. I actually got a chance to watch some decent amount of stuff. Um, just so people understand where we're at with things, it is um, March 3rd as we record this. The Batman releases in theaters tomorrow at the time yep. of this recording. Um, <laughs> I am very, very excited to see this movie. Um, I see it tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock, and um, the early reviews are in, and they're like through the charts. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but it's insane, the reviews that are coming through, and I'm really hoping it keeps my expectations kind of down. <laughs> I really don't want to go in with the high expectations of these, and I haven't really looked at them, but it's like just sentences, and you're just like, holy cow. Like, I haven't read full reviews, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, I've kind of, uh, I, I guess kind of luckily kind of stayed away from the hype a little bit, but it's a Batman movie. So I know everybody's going to be going crazy about it, which I'm actually looking forward to. Um, at this point there, there hasn't been like any crazy hype or high expectations that have uh, potentially ruined it for me. So I'm just really excited to uh, finally see this movie. And <laughs> It's funny how the release has been delayed and delayed, but now that it's coming out, it's almost like, Man, I can't believe it's here already. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I know. So, um, the uh, yeah, I'm just I'm man. There's there's a lot of st- we have a lot to unpack tonight, and uh, the bat there's some Batman stuff. There's some Batman related stuff we need to talk about news wise. But it is crazy. I'm just I'm just excited to see this movie. And as I was seeing these come in, it just built my excitement. And I'm like, please just keep it grounded for right now. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So let's talk about other <laughs> stuff. Um, what are we watching? What are we reading? What do you got for me, man? Yeah, for sure. I have. Uh, I actually feel like I've watched a lot of stuff, too, but I'll, there's a couple of reviews that I can keep uh, pretty short tonight. Um, before I get into that, though, I actually thought of this concept. It was like a couple hours before the show, and I think it's just a really good meme concept, which I don't know if it's been done but in case it hasn't, I figured I'd just bring it up on the show because I feel like it's a good enough idea that it's one of those things like if I bring it up now, we'll have the like we thought of it first sort of thing going on. But uh, I was thinking, uh, Drew, are you familiar with like the political compass memes where it shows like 
where you sit on like this four quadrant political chart. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. And now okay. I'm looking them up. So go ahead. <laughs> so it's it's like a four quadrant ch- chart. And uh, the, it's like there's the X axis and the Y axis. And the X axis is like, are you left wing or right wing? And the Y axis is like, are you more authoritarian or more libertarian? Um, I'm not trying to bring this into politics, though. But basically what you do is you take different political figures or yourself or, you know, however you want to do it, you can find you can kind of pinpoint where people sit on that chart. Um, I was kind of hoping you were familiar with this meme, though, because I was thinking we should start doing nerd compass memes. <laughs> like, where do you fit in the nerd world? And um, I literally just thought of this concept, so I haven't thought it through super well. But I was thinking the two axes could be like, how knowledgeable are you on just nerd culture, nerdy things, comic books, video games, etc. So there's like, on one end, you're super knowledgeable. On the other end, you're not at all. But then the other axis could be like your enthusiasm for nerd culture. <laughs> so you have the one end of that's you're super enthusiastic. And then on the other end, you're not at all. Because I was thinking of a character like the comic book man or the comic book man from The Simpsons. Sorry, the comic book guy from The Simpsons is like super knowledgeable, but doesn't have a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> so he would be like all the way in that end of the of the like that corner of this uh chart but then you have a carrot you have like somebody like uh i don't know like i'd go with like maybe a jason muse who isn't necessarily the most knowledgeable guy like he's pretty knowledgeable but he's not like incredibly ins- enthusiastic exa- exactly and i just thought it was a fun concept to just and then i started thinking like oh you know where would i fit on the you know <laughs> the nerd compass i think i would probably be in the Jason Muse corner of things, but it was just a funny concept, so I thought I'd bring it up. I don't know if I'll actually put the work in to make one of these memes, but it's one of those we can at least say we had this concept on our podcast before anybody else. <laughs> no, that's it's actually kind of cool. And while you were talking, I looked it up, so I was like, okay, now I understand. I just don't know mm-hmm. how you uh, place yourself. I guess is the good way of wording it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's the weird part about it. So. Yeah, and I I feel like it's lucky that, like, I had the comic book guy from The Simpsons as, like, that perfect character to, like, classify where you sit. But then, yeah, yeah. otherwise, it's really sort of um, subjective, I would say, you know what yeah. I mean? No, I got you. Um, no, that's interesting. I mean, if you do put the work into it, please share so we can do <laughs> I mean, we could do, like, a show version of it. <laughs> Yeah. Where it's just me and you, where we think we sit, and we could share that on social media. But yeah, I think right. it's—I think it's got some, some potential. I think it's pretty funny. And if you like, have any other you or any of our audience uh, members, if you have any ideas for better axes to go with besides just you know knowledge and enthusiasm, like please let us know. But that's kind of where I was uh, kind of thinking about with it. Sure. Um, but let's see, moving into um, my watching and reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so this one I can keep super short, but I watched this movie earlier this week called uh, The In-Between. Drew, are you familiar with this at all? Um, I know of it, but I haven't watched it. Okay. So this is like a teen romantic comedy, I would I, say. Real and, quick. I always feel bad when you say, do you know of this? And I'm like, yes, I do, <laughs> but I haven't watched it. There's just so much stuff. Like, so much stuff. <laughs> so so I, I, usually, I usually ask that question because I, uh, 
I know it's like maybe a little bit more obscure. <laughs> so I'm just kind of curious if you know what I'm talking about or not. Um, and like you said, there's so much to watch, but uh, too much to watch. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, so anyways, this is like a teen romantic comedy starring uh, Joey King, who she played uh, Gypsy Rose in the act on Hulu. If you ever watch that show, um, okay. she seems to be in a lot of just random like indie movies and stuff lately, but this is one of those. She's starting to pop up on a lot of places recently. um, Absolutely. Just in terms of like celebrity popularity. Um, So, Mm -hmm. and I think, did you ever watch the act on Hulu drew? I didn't feel Okay. I feel like I mentioned that on on the show, but uh, her acting chops show so well in that series. Like it's, because that series was such a hit and like how well she played that role, it totally makes sense that she's kind of, uh, you know, seeing a little bit of a boom at the moment. But, uh, anyways, so this, uh, this movie is a, like I said, it's like a teen romantic comedy and it's basically about a girl whose boyfriend dies and it kind of goes into like a weird supernatural direction from there. Um, I do want to keep this review short cause I don't, this is one where you can easily spoil a lot of things, but, this is one of those movies that my wife put on and I thought I was going to be really bored. <laughs> like I thought it was going to be pretty similar to the movie. If I stay, if you've ever seen that and that movie is actually really bad in my opinion, but no, this movie, I was surprised. It was just a really fun time to watch. Like, yes, it's a romantic comedy for like a teenage demographic, but there was a lot of cool, like sort of paranormal slash horror elements to it, as well as like kind of a light, adventure element to like a lot of different parts so this is just one of those if you want something in that vein of like a teen comedy romance sort of movie i would definitely recommend this one i didn't regret watching it like i had a good time with this movie um moving into my other watching and reading um I meant to watch to catch up on Vox Machina over the weekend, and I kind of got sidetracked. <laughs> I watched this uh, series. I actually binged through the series on Netflix called Stay Close. Uh, okay. Drew, I don't know if you know this one or not. Um, I think it's no, it came out no. last year at some point. Okay. Um, but it's basically, from what I can tell, Netflix has like a deal with the author uh, Harlan Coben because they've produced like a lot of shows based on his books and while i've never read any of that author's books i've watched three or four of his shows on netflix and i just really love them like uh he did i feel like the biggest name one that's on there is the stranger which is just a really good series as well as uh safe that has uh the actor who plays dexter on it but this is i believe the newest harlan coben show and uh these shows are just kind of like these sort of isolated, self-contained, short, just really good mystery series to watch through. And, uh, yeah, it was just one of those things like, okay, this guy did this show too. You know, I liked a couple of his other shows and I put it on. And then it just becomes this really engrossing story that's kind of, uh, this one's kind of cool because it's like a murder mystery sort of thing, but it's almost like has the serial killer aspect where it's every year there's like somebody who goes, missing or dies in a certain location and it's kind of unpacking the uh unpacking all the details of that um i will say the show when i was about halfway through started to feel very convoluted because it did this thing where it felt like every episode it kept introducing new characters and i was a little bit like 
I don't know if I can even keep track of all this, you know, but by the time it gets to the end, it really neatly ties everything up and it's a really engrossing watch. And, uh, you know, every mystery, every good mystery has to have a twist at the end and the twist at the end of this one was actually really awesome. So that's a super vague review, but I just, I think stay close as well as any of those Harlan Coben shows on Netflix. I think they're really fun and they're just really good mystery stories to watch through. And it's a good thing that if you have one of those weekends where you have the time and nothing to watch, like check one of them out. Cause you can easily knock it out in a weekend. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, and, when, I, when I have one of those, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my list, I feel like my watching list is longer and longer and longer. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So, you know, so, sometimes you just got to take that watching list and throw it into the fire and then start brand new. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just joking around. But uh, um, no, there's one other thing that I wanted to mention this week. I feel like my watching and reading is going a little bit long. So sorry about that. But uh, the, the one thing I wanted to, the one thing I wanted to, I wanted to mention and kind of the big one is uh, the season season two of Euphoria ended this oh, past yeah. week. So yeah, um, that's been like all over the internet and uh, the way it's like, I really feel I need to catch up and start watching this show just because of like all the buzz around it. Um, yeah. And it's see what everyone's talking about. So, yeah. And I, I, I think that when I watched the first season, I thought the show was entertaining, but I don't know if I gave it enough credit for how good it was, but I think watching the second season, I was, I'm really impressed with just how, how suspenseful at parts it is and just how poetic and poignant and just, it's, it's really, it's a really well executed show. Um, anybody who's wanting to jump in just has to be forewarned. Like this is a hard R rated show. There's a ton of really dark and very mature, uh, concepts. Like it deals a lot with, um, addiction is kind of the main issue, like drug addiction it deals sure. with, but it deals with a lot of other, um, just a lot of other dark, very adult situations. So that is definitely a warning I have to give with this show. But the thing I wanted to mention is this past season ended and the season finale was essentially broken up over two episodes. And uh, there's a girl in this, in the series named Lexi, who's kind of more of a side character most of the time. But uh, this past season, she took upon herself to write a play and she basically wrote a play about her friends and the people that she goes to school with. And then she puts the play on for the school. <laughs> so everybody literally goes to this play, but they're watching the story of their own lives and uh, the way certain characters are depicted and stuff. You can imagine certain people get really pissed off and stuff like that. And uh, it was, really cool because they broke this this kind of play up into two episodes and while you're watching the events of the play uh the the events of the play happen you're also watching the real life events of different things that are happening elsewhere and uh I think that's why this play concept for these TV episodes worked really well as they really interspliced a lot of uh, new information while you're watching other things kind of being recapped. But all in all, it ended up being this really creative, really cool season finale. And I've kind of been championing this past championing this past season because I've just thought it was really good. But this was just a really cool way <laughs> to make the series go out of, out with a bang. Um, and I, it's kind of like one of those things, if you haven't watched it, I don't want to say too much again, but it's just 
the season finale for the show I was so impressed with. Um, there's also one part that had me cracking up and it kind of still has me cracking up because <laughs> there's a moment in the last episode where there's, there's two characters who get in a fight and then there's this one side character. So like these two characters are fighting and they're like chasing each other around and stuff. And there's this one side <laughs> side character girl who's also running around with them and she's kind of like egging them on and she uh there's this part where she's like like it's really intense and she's chasing after him and she yells something you know like kick her ass or something and right after like yelling this like exclamation to really egg on this fight she she like stops turns to the side and takes like a big drag from her vape pen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the visual of it, like, it was such a well-timed joke, and the visual of it was so absurd, but at the same time, so true when you think of how, like, high school kids and stuff are nowadays. It was, like, it had me cracking up, and, like, throughout the week, I keep playing that moment through my head, because it was just such a good joke. So, um, I don't have too much else to say, but, yeah, definitely check out Euphoria if you um, have the... Uh, I guess the fortitude to watch that show, watch that show, but uh, definitely, definitely really good. And uh, that probably rounds out my uh, watching and reading for this week. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so for me watching and reading um, while well, I'm still kind of trucking along through uh, the dark, uh, sorry, detective <laughs> comics. Um, it, I've been reading that a little more heavily right now, just because I've been excited about the Batman coming out. Um Marvelous Miss Maisel is back. I'm only like a couple episodes into the new season. It's awesome. I'm so glad they're back. There was a little moment at the beginning where I was like, oh, wait, yep, that's where my friends are. Like, it's been a while. They had a, they basically stopped production on it for a while because of COVID. So this season, I don't want to say it's delayed, but it basically got pushed back. So um, I'm just glad it's back. Um, I did watch uh, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Um, um, (laughs) What do you think? Um, I honestly, this is the most mixed review I've ever had in my entire life to discuss right. the show because ultimately I enjoyed the show. I really did. Yeah. But I have so many problems with <laughs> the show. And if you don't mind, I'm about to tear it apart. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So the big issue for issue number one that I cannot get my head around is the fact that the person who wrote this, or the writer's room that wrote this, did zero police research. 100% didn't pay attention to anything that exists in the real world. None of it would have happened. Um, and the, right. And I'm specifically referring to the... Okay, so Kristen Bell um, is a divorced woman whose husband worked for the FBI, and their daughter <laughs> was brutally murdered by a serial killer because he took her to work with him on take your daughter to work day, and she got left in a room with a serial killer. Yes. Okay. Yes. First off, that would never happen <laughs> and in that, a million that's, years. <laughs> um, that's one of the parts where it happened, and I was like, okay, that's really tragic, but am I supposed to be taking this seriously right now? Because there's okay. no way, like... And no me, way that would happen. And let me explain how I know for a fact that wouldn't happen. I don't work for the FBI, but I do work in law enforcement. My son wanted to come and do a ride along um, and see where I work and take a tour of the police station, right? So yeah. I was allowed to do this under the event that for the two hours that my son was there, 
I was not allowed to take any calls or respond to anything the entire time. So he yeah. would have no chance of being in danger. He came to the PD. I gave him a tour around the police station, showed him some cool stuff. He thought it was really cool. Took him out to the car, let him play with the lights, drove him around a little bit, and then we took him home. That was it. Yeah. There is no way that girl, <laughs> even with adult supervision, would have been allowed in a room with a serial killer. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Okay, problem number two. No one at all was bothered by the fact that Buell does not know how to fix a um, mailbox and spent, what, a month trying to fix a mailbox? <laughs> um, from, from what I gathered, it sounded like he'd been trying to fix the mailbox for several years. I know. When like, it I'm actually so, comes to the I'm cell. sorry. I'm sorry, but not one person in the neighborhood <laughs> thought it was odd that he's still fixing the mailbox. <laughs> yeah. Um, my other, and then the other thing was, is I honestly was expecting the entire show to be a dream at the credits. The whole show oh, I was expecting to be a dream. And the reason I was expecting the show to be a dream was like, well, first off, she, she takes the pills. And then she gets drunk, and then she stares out her window, and she, like, has these whole things and fantasies. But here's the catch. This is where I thought it was going to be a dream, and this is why. Every time they showed the daughter's gravestone at the cemetery, the inscription was different. Ooh, wow. You really paid close attention. And I don't understand, and there was no explanation for it. The inscription (laughs) on the gravestone was different every single time, and it wasn't like like the dates were different or the name was different. There was a different quote written on the gravestone every time it was on frame. Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's a dream. There's no way, like, any of this is legit. And then, all right, big spoiler, because I told you I was going to tear you this apart. When you find out that the little girl across the street was the yes. killer, yes. there is no way, first off, that little girl had so much fun filming that fight scene. Oh, man, I would have loved to be, <laughs> I would have loved to have been that little kid. Like, that would have been such a cool fight scene. <laughs> but there is no way that little girl has the strength to cut oh. the body up into tiny little pieces, cutting hands, legs, whatever. There's no way. It's not possible. <laughs> Absolutely. Or even like some of the parts of that fight scene, just her jumping around and being able to like, uh, like overpower Kristen Bell at certain points. Like, yeah, there's like just no way that would play out. And I found myself <laughs> getting angry at the show while I watched and I trudged <laughs> through it. And then we got to the final scene when like Glenn Close like died or maybe didn't die in the airplane uh, bathroom. Yeah. Like, well, crap, now I'm going to have to watch next season, no matter how ridiculous this is. <laughs> well, so that's how I felt, because, like I said, uh, when I reviewed the show, like, I kind of felt like the show, tonally and, like, production value-wise, felt like a Hallmark original movie, except that it was about a mystery, you know. But And so I, I, I guess I wasn't, like, super impressed, and when I went into the show, I thought it was meant to be taken seriously, and so I was just confused, but... The problem was I just really wanted to know how this mystery was going to be wrapped up. You know, I had to, <laughs> right. I had to keep watching to see the explanation. And that's what uh, that's what's kind of funny. It's kind of like this weird conundrum with the show where it's like, oh, I don't know if I like this, but I have to finish it. You know what I mean? Well, let's throw in the fact that here's a here's a FBI forensic psychologist who not only did his daughter get killed by a serial killer, he still hired the ex 
Psych- <laughs> yeah, that's so stupid. Psycho patient to be the guy to be their handyman? Like, what? <laughs> well, somebody like, had to fix the mailbox, Drew. I, I guess so. Someone had to fix the mailbox. I just, it just got, it just got way too absurd, and there was no explanation for the gravestone at all, and I can't figure it out. Um, That's funny. I, I think like the point of the show is for it to be. I think it's like a giant joke, and the joke is the confusion of like, are people going to take this seriously or not? Maybe because I was watching it, and I thought it was supposed to be serious, and the first part that really made me second guess that was when uh so Kristen Bell is following the guy across the street because she thinks he's hauling a dead body somewhere and in, in like that giant duffel bag. <laughs> and then when it's revealed that it's actually a ventriloquist dummy and he's just going to a local open mic. <laughs> I, at that part I was like, wait, is this supposed to be a serious show or not? Like, like I, I really take, couldn't tell. Like, you couldn't take that guy seriously anymore. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way this is the, like, cute guy across the street anymore. Like, what is happening? <laughs> and um, it was just the ventriloquist dummies that just didn't fit. Like, it was uh, the last thing you would have ever expected, but it was so funny. I don't know. I, it's. I also noticed that the, the books she was reading are very indicative of the title of the show. Absolutely. And, and um, I was like, okay, that's interesting. So it's either that author's books being um, uh, yeah. brought to screen or it's Kristen Bell is, like, totally reading too many of these novels. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I'm not – I don't know. The problem is, is I like Kristen Bell, and the way that season ended, I'm like, well, crap, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm probably going to watch the next season. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I did. I did really love that moment at the end. Like if she first gets onto the. Uh, I think I bet there's going to be a second season. There will I feel be. like there it got it got, it got too much press and too many people watched it. So yeah, I did really like that moment when she first sits down on the plane at the end, and uh, the the flight attendant offers her a glass of wine, and she's like, "No, I don't. Sorry, I don't drink any wine anymore. Can I have a vodka?" Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really well played. Well, um, and having and having Jim Rash play the flight attendant was just too perfect. Even just for a, even just for a cameo, that was just too fun. So. <laughs> um, oh, the other thing I was going to mention is I don't know if you remember when I mentioned this show and we were talking about it on our podcast, but uh, we decided that next season is going to have to have one of those one word titles, and I think uh, I think that could definitely work. Yeah. It. it yeah, and I don't know, what, and I'm not really sure what word it's going to be, but hey, uh, I, I I said, well, the one the idea I had on our last episode was uh, "She's Back," which is a two word uh, title, but it's got to be something really simple and stupid like that. I think. Yeah, I don't know the the fight scene with the little kid at the end really surprised me, but that was fun to watch, and like there's just there's there's just plot holes that bugged me. I'm like, they didn't do any research. Whoever wrote it is not. If they were trying to like get us to like think the way I'm thinking right now, they did a perfect job because I am. But yeah, exactly. And I think I think the point of it was to not do any research and then just rub your face in the uh, ignorance of the writers' room for this show. And I think they did a good job at that. <laughs> well, the other thing that I watched, moving on, is um, a trailer. Did you check this out for the movie Bullet Train? Yes, yes, I did watch the trailer okay. for this one. So this trailer, I'm really not 100% sure what this movie's about, but it basically Brad Pitt is, like, maybe a assassin, mercenary, bounty hunter guy, maybe right. guy that's got to get a briefcase, and he's on a train with a lot of other assassins, 
this sounds like just the movie I need right now. <laughs> right. I, I'm literally watching the trailer going, this looks like so much fun. Um, what did you think of it, just out of the sort of curiosity? Yeah, um, well, I actually kind of thought that Brad Pitt's character almost reminded me a lot of, like, uh, the trans the Transporter movies, where he's kind of this guy who, like you said, bounty hunter, mercer- mercenary, something like that, but he's kind of this guy who gets given these tasks, and he just asks no questions, he just need- does what needs to get done, and then gets paid for it, but, um, no, I think... I kind of think the same thing. Like, this movie looks so much fun. I know it. they said in the trailer that it's the same director, I believe, as Deadpool 2, yeah. which sounds awesome. And I almost feel like this felt like it could be a Deadpool movie almost. <laughs> like, replace Brad Pitt with Deadpool, and it's right. possible that this movie could still work. But, uh, no, it looks like a ton of fun. It looks like a great cast. Um, I noticed Joey King is actually in this movie as well, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty funny. But, um no, uh, listening to your description, I almost feel like, because you said that he's on a train full of assassins, and I almost wish they would have called this movie Train Full of Assassins, because <laughs> it just oh, sounds bombastic yeah, snake, and ridiculous. Like snakes on a plane, you know? let's, just, like, go, let's, <laughs> go right, let's just go right for the throat and just give you the title that it deserves. Um, Absolutely, because Bullet Train, I will say, like, tonally, I feel like it sounds much more mundane than this movie's going to be, you it, know what I mean? It does, it does, because a bullet train is a thing. But it's also interesting when you think that if you fill the train with guns, then yep. um, it could be that cute little metaphor. Anyway, what I will say yeah, that's true. That, that's a good point. What I will say is that Brad Pitt comes back and does um, gets his Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And does this mean he's back? Because I'm starting to see him pop up in like trailers and stuff. And that's just awesome if he is, because I really enjoy Brad Pitt. And he seemed like he took a break for a while, and now he's back. And uh, this just <laughs> looks like a really fun movie to have him back. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's it for my watching and reading. Um, we have a ton of news, so let's break <laughs> this down. Like we have a ton. Um, let's try to power through this. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're already running long. <laughs> we are, but that's okay. I'm in for the long haul. I don't mind. We do have a couple quick hits, but because this is Batman night or <sighs> night, like uh, the eve of the, of the new Batman film, let's hit a couple Batman things. First off, if you're seeing it in AMC, uh, by the time this episode releases, the movie oh, will I heard about out, this. Yes. but I didn't know about this, AMC is charging more for the Batman, um, specifically the Batman, because they're trying out a new pricing model. So if you go see it in AMC, it might cost you a little more money. Um, they said, uh, quote from AMC, this is all quite novel in the United States, but actually AMC has been doing this for years in our European theaters. Uh, this comes from oh, CEO, yeah. CEO uh, Adam uh, Adam Aaron. He said, we charge a premium for the best seats in the house, as do just about all the seller tickets in other industries. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. I'm paying the same price because I'm not – I don't usually go to – I usually go to a Cinemark that's right by my house because they have a true IMAX theater, and that's what I prefer to see it in. Yeah, so. I um – the way I understood it, I thought they were just going to charge more for the big sort of blockbuster tentpole films. I didn't sure. know if it was like for the best seat in the house. That wording kind of confuses me. But right, that's that makes me wonder too. Um, yeah. So, like I said, so yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know that that's the case. Um, early Batman reviews are in. Do you want to hear any of them or no? Yeah, that, I'm I'm fine with it. Okay, I'm going to give you two. I flagged two of them on purpose. The rest will be alone. I look at this going, 
sometimes network reviews, like network news, where you like turn on Fox in the morning and someone's on there talking about it. I feel like they're try they. I'm I'm not sure if they really some of those critics don't entirely know movies the way you want them to. And I try and find trusted sources that like share my same opinions because then you're like, well, they share my same opinions, and I feel a lot of people do that with critics, but. When you look at that, you're like, well, this guy hated it. Well, let's go see what this other guy, I know that I usually agree with things. Oh, he hated it too? Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, that makes sense. So the Nerdist, and like some of these reviews are short, but Nerdist.com uh, says, the Batman is the Dark Knight movie we've been waiting for. It's the very best Batman movie ever made. That's, and I was like, I was like, awesome. holy, I was like, holy crap, that's high praise because, you know, everyone thinks about the Dark Knight. IGN gave the Batman a 10 out of 10. And that is wow. very, that's rare for IGN to do. IGN specifically says, the Batman is a gripping, gorgeous, and at times generally scary psychological crime thriller that gives Bruce Wayne the grounded detective story he deserves. Robert Pattinson is great as a very broken Batman, but it's Zoe Kravitz and Paul Dano who steal the show with a movingly layered Catwoman and terrifyingly unhinged Riddler. Um, nice. I read those and I was like, I cannot wait to see this movie. And then as reviews kept pouring in, I was like, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. So I'm, I'm concerned I'm going in with higher expectations than I want to, but I'm just excited to see it. You know what I mean? Nice. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So, um, in more Batman news, um, in terms of expanding the universe, we know that there's a penguin show coming, which I think is weird because Gotham was pretty much a penguin show. Um, but, um, upcoming HBO series will con- connect to Arkham Asylum. Um, one of Matt Reeves' upcoming HBO Max series is going to do so, and he, and from Matt Reeves, we're doing, we're doing the Penguin series, and we're doing another series that directly connects to Arkham. What I'm wondering is, is if, uh, they're referring to Arkham Asylum, the comic. Uh, okay. The, um... I, I, the, why am I drawing a blank on his name right now? The Grant Morrison Arkham Asylum comic. Right, uh, yeah. I just wonder if that's what they mean when they say connecting to Arkham Asylum. Um, that is a grippingly dark comic book, but it's absolutely amazing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh-huh. I've never read it, but I, if I'm thinking of the right one, it had like really twisted looking artwork and looks. Yeah, it had very twisted Really looks. interesting. It's, it's an awesome, awesome book. Um, the other piece of Batman news is Matt Reeves has no intention right now, no plans to introduce Superman or any other DC heroes into the Batman 2. Uh, okay. Matt Reeves says, there's a lot of characters in Gotham World. That's what's in my interest right now, um, which is nice. He also had to say, um, yeah, okay. Um, I did this in, I, okay, so here we go. Um if something like that did happen, because I was very careful about, to me, what I try and do is take, um, this is weird, it's the way he cuts up his sentence, and he's like he's trying not to, uh, word, it's, it's like he's trying not to, like, give us too much information. Okay. Um, I did this in Apes Films 2 and even Cloverfield, this idea of taking one fantastical element and then having everything around it, so it'll be as grounded as possible, so then it so that it could feel. I want it to feel emotionally emotionally real and to make everything feel very uh, believable. In this movie, even further, I think than what I 
I think, than what I did in those films. I try to find the practical, believable version. If suddenly Batman, the Batman, in the Batman world, you discover that there was an alien that was Superman, there would be a lot of shock. I mean, people would have to say, oh my God, and maybe that would be the one fantastical element. But to be honest with you, that is not my intention at this point. To figure out how to make that come, that come. Look, we should be so lucky that this is a world that people embrace and that they would say, oh my God, we want to see what would happen when those things collide. I think if that challenge ever presents itself, it would be an exciting one to explore, but I have to try and do it through this lens. You know what I mean? And there's absolutely, and that is absolutely right that at the moment to me, the world is, is the place I want it to focus. So he's basically saying I don't want to go beyond Gotham City right now, and I appreciate that. Um, but I like what he's saying about keeping it as grounded as humanly possible, and, you know, what's the fantastical moment, and then focusing on what's keeping that thing grounded. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's really cool because, um, I don't know, I think, I like, I love Batman and Superman working together, and I love seeing Batman in the Justice League and stuff, but I also really like Batman as this sort of dark, um, like singular, you know, Avenger in not, you know, Avenger as the generic noun, not <laughs> as a, like actual proper a Avenger, but you know, I, um, I understood what you meant. I hope, <laughs> I hope the audience did too with that statement, but uh, yeah, just like this, this singular hero who's like out on the streets of Gotham. And I think if that's what this series is going to focus on, that's really cool. I mean, we did just get a really, really um, out I've out there, like, uh, really, like, larger than life. Maybe that's the better word I'm looking for. We did we did just get a very larger than life uh, DC superhero trilogy with the uh, Snyder Cut and Batman v Superman and Man of Steel. And if this is going to be the more realistic, grounded, gritty version of Batman, I'm totally okay with that. And the thing that I think people forget about with Batman a lot is, yes, Batman is... one of the most grounded superhero characters, his villains, like a lot of them aren't super grounded, you know, like Poison Ivy, like that's a super powered character, you know, Bane is a super villain, like Batman's villains are sometimes harder to believe than Batman himself. And I think it sounds like Matt Reeves is taking a really smart approach to the trilogy. And I'm just really excited to see where this goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I agree. Um, so yeah, let's see how it unfolds. All I know is I'm walking into a movie that apparently is amazing and, um, I can't wait to see it tomorrow. So, um, and, <laughs> so and I, and I, and I need to stop saying that cause we could be talking about other things. So, um, <laughs> yes, I'm excited for Batman and we'll move on. Um, okay. Let's talk about, let's hit some quick hits here. I think that's it for in terms of like the big ones, because Batman had a lot of news that hit. Nice. Um, Okay. Indiana Jones 5 has wrapped filming officially, Okay, which means the filming's done. They're now in the editing post-production work, which is awesome. Now we are stuck waiting for the title. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so Indiana Jones 5 is on the, on the books for us, which is great. Um, in Marvel news, um, Moon Knight hits Disney Plus March 30th. Awesome. Yes, I know. There's a really... Interesting picture that came with it of, uh, and I don't know what it is. It's like Moon Knight with, instead of his normal hood, he's got like a white suit on, which I thought was weird. But hey, you know what? That could have just been for a marketing ploy. But it hits March 30th, so um, 
I can't wait. I can't wait for Moon Knight. It looks awesome. Is um, there? I'm kind of curious. Is the 30th of March? Does it have some weird significance on like the lunar calendar or anything? Like, is it a full moon or something? Ooh, that's <laughs> a real interesting question. Yeah, I never thought about that until now. But it'd be well, kind of cool if uh, supposed to actual or like that specific night of the month is supposed to be the actual crescent that makes the Moon Knight shape. Right, right. Yeah, it'd be cool. I don't know if it is thought out like that, but if it is, that'd be really cool to see. <laughs> yeah, uh, we could probably look that up. But um, um, other shows that are going to be hitting Disney Plus, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, The Punisher, Luke Cage, The Defenders, um, all of the Netflix shows hit Disney Plus in the U.S. on March 16th, officially. We talked about this last week. They hit March 16th. Um, also ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will also be hitting Disney+. Plus. Oh, nice. Uh, so, um, um, if you wanted to catch up in that direction and, like, just add to the Marvel Library and Disney+, Plus, it's almost all there. The Spider-Man movies will be there once they get out of that ridiculous contract that they have with Sony, because they're, like, the way it works with those is that it's supposed to hit, I believe, Netflix first or Paramount Plus, and then after the contract is over, they eventually go to Disney Plus, but they eventually will be. The only movie that will never be on Disney Plus is The Incredible Hulk, and that is because of the universal uh, deal that's made there, so nothing we can do about that one. (laughs) So... It is what it is, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it is what it is. I don't really know what to say about that. So, um, No, I was actually looking up... um, The lunar cycle? Yeah, so it says that um, on March 30th, uh, it's going to be a waning crescent. So it will have... I don't know if it's like the perfect moon night shape, but it is a crescent moon. So, yeah, so I don't know if they did plan that out or not. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Um... Okay, um, let's see here. Other Marvel news. Kevin Feige says that Doctor Strange is the anchor of the MCU. Um, okay, Benedict, I could see that. Benedict Cumberbatch just got uh, his uh, star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and there was some you know press interviews that happened. Um, according to Kevin Feige, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange will serve as the center of the MCU as it continues into Phase 4 and beyond. Feige added, you've become the anchor of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the only actor capable of guiding us through the madness of the multiverse. I don't know if that was entirely a statement to promote the upcoming film or if it was a statement to promote where we're going and how mainstream Doctor Strange is going to become. Um, the Benedict Cumberbatch said he'd be willing to play Doctor Strange as long as the stories stay cool. <laughs> so nice. Um, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I know, right? As long as it's always a good story, he's down. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, last piece of Marvel news tonight. Andrew Garfield says he has no plans to play Spider-Man again. Um, with all that, please give us another amazing Spider-Man 3, because after watching No Way Home, I'd love it. But yeah. um, he says no plans. That's the truth. Andrew Garfield added, everyone's going to call me a liar for the rest of my life. Because I'm the boy who cried wolf. And that's because he spent so much time saying, I'm not in the movie, yep. I'm not in the movie. I'm not in the movie. <laughs> um, and he had to lie to Emma Stone and all that stuff. And so, yeah. It is cool, though, like, knowing since Spider-Man, like, the projects he's gone on to do, I could see him being the type of 
actor who really takes the art of acting seriously. And so, like, of course, he would be committed to making it seem like he wasn't going to be in No Way Home. So that's pretty awesome. But also, like, like I, I love the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, but there's a lot of people who don't. And uh, the cool thing about No Way Home is it kind of made a lot of people see just how cool and good those movies were. Like, I feel like there's a bigger appreciation of the amazing Spider-Man movies yeah. now. And uh, it's kind of one of those quit while you're on top sort of things. Like if this is his last Spider-Man movie that he does, like that's kind of a good move, even though, like you said, I'd love to see him in another movie. Like I can't blame him for not coming back and playing Spider-Man again, you know? Yeah, I know. Um, Yeah, I agree. So, We'll see. You know, it, what, here's what happens. If someone says, I'm not going to do that role again, and then they back a dump truck of cash up to your house, and you go, <laughs> oh, well, sure, I guess I'll play the role again. Um, Absolutely. So that's what happens with all the James Bond actors. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, okay. Uh, Free Guy 2 is in the works. Free Guy sequel. Nice. Free Guy sequel is officially underway from the... Um, this comes from 20th Century Fox president um, Steve Asbell. He says, we're awaiting a script that is days away. It's a fantastic story. Um, so they're awaiting a script. It's a fantastic story. They say that like they already know what the story is. To understand what that means is they have to have a pitch meeting where someone explains the yeah. story they're trying to tell. And then the script, all the dialogue is then flushed out. So that's what that means. Um, we have more Free Guy movies coming. We're going to be pretty busy. Notice he That's said crazy. More, notice he said we have more movies coming. This yeah. is that, this is that thing where when Halo 4 got announced for the Xbox, my phone lit up and everyone goes, "Did you hear that in the press conference? They said Halo 4." <laughs> and I go, "They also said 5 and 6." And they said, yeah. "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "It's they said a trilogy." You know what I mean? Like you got to like keep listening. <laughs> yeah. So like don't like gloss over what he said. He said movies here and that's awesome. Um I'm totally down for more Free Guy universe. Um, it's crazy because, like, uh, I can't imagine how they'd do a sequel to that. Like, it felt like such a good standing on its own sort of it, thing. But it, it did. It really did. Um, so we'll <laughs> see what that means. Yeah, uh, either way, I'm down. It sounds pretty cool. So um, <laughs> we'll see where they go. Uh, Steve Asbell, all from 20th Century Fox, also touched on the upcoming Avatar sequel, confirming without a doubt that the long-awaited film will be released this year. It's going to blow people away. You are not ready for what Jim Cameron is doing. Interesting. Uh, that's all I Right. And my response to that is exactly the same one you just had. Interesting. <laughs> because, again, no one's going to Avatar Con. Our butts are going to be in the seat for it. I just, I need to see a trailer, man. Like, <laughs> it makes, no. it really makes you wonder, though, is the trailer going to blow our, our minds or is it going to be something is it going to be based on the visuals and the sound and like right. the well, first, the experience of seeing the first avatar blew everybody's mind. And it makes right. me wonder, is Jim Cameron going to bring something to theaters that we've never seen before for the right. second one? And you that's know. a really weird thing to think about. So <laughs> you say that you say that in this aspect, do you remember the movie speed? Yes. Okay. I love that movie. Um, it's probably one of the coolest, like, just action intense movies that are out there. And I really do. I really do believe that. Um, that movie had a bus that had to jump a 50 foot gap. That's, yeah. That sequence in the movie was probably 20 seconds, but I'm going to tell you 
it drove people to the theater because no one had ever seen that. Yeah. You know what I mean? There are times that movies and television have to show you stuff you've never seen before. Um, I was blown away by Avatar because it was something I'd never seen before. I was blown away by Aquaman because I'd never seen a movie like that before. Yes, it was a superhero movie, but 90% of the movie was underwater. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's sometimes they got to show you stuff you've never seen before. Um, Avatar, the trailer does the trailer doesn't necessarily have to blow me away, but the first Avatar movie, when you break it down into what it was, it was the movie Pocahontas told on a sci-fi level. And yeah, like and when, and if you're sitting there listening to this, going, no, it wasn't. Here's the thing: in Pocahontas, the humans or the humans or the uh, Europeans show up on the America shore and they start mining gold. And then John Smith, um, um, falls in love with the Indian princess, tries to befriend the natives. And then they all go to war. And what you see what I'm saying? And Avatar, and Avatar, the humans land on Pandora to mine the mineral unattainium. And then Jake Sully, same initials, falls in love with the Indian princess and befriends the natives, and they all go to war. Like, it's the same movie. (laughs) So what is Avatar 2 going to show us that we've never seen before? And that's what I'm really interested in, and my butt's going to be in a seat for it, but you got to get me in there. you got to get me in. Well, I think you talking about this, it actually makes me kind of pinpoint a theory of what this new Avatar movie might show us that we've never seen before, because you mentioned unobtainium, and my prediction (laughs) is that they're going to show us an alloy made of unobtainium mixed with transformium from Transformers 4. (laughs) Transformium? And that's something... That was the synthetic transformer metal that they made, if you remember that. Oh, it was, yeah. Yeah. I was so, trying to think of what the cube was, but um. <laughs> so we're gonna have transformatamium, and that's something we've never <laughs> seen before in a movie. So never, there you go. <laughs> we've never seen that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we'll see what Avatar Two's got in store for us. Okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> A couple weeks ago, it was either a week or two ago, we talked about uh, the um, Futurama reboot and that they were having contract negotiations with John DiMaggio to return as Bender. Um, Bender Gate is over, and John DiMaggio <laughs> will be returning as uh, Bender for the Futurama reboot. So I didn't know it was called Bender Gate, but uh, I did see this news. Um, I didn't look into it really far, but from what I gathered, it sounded like he made a deal with them, and he's basically going to get the amount of uh, compensation that he originally wanted. But I think this is a story where everybody wins because, hell yes, Bender's back, and uh, we can all just enjoy and revel in this new Futurama series, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Halo. Let's talk about this for a minute. Um, I have been a little harsh with Halo the TV series coming to Paramount. Now, the reasons I've been harsh is because it's all against the freaking voice change to the Master Chief. And I know it's a petty reason to look at, and I know I shouldn't be complaining. I should just watch the show and just give my opinion later. I agree with my statement of saying just what I said. Um, what has me excited was is that Steven Spielberg is a very big Halo fan. He announced that years ago. And yeah. he has been involved in the production of this show for a long time, and it's been kind of like, where is this going? Where is it coming from? 
Um, has he fallen off? They changed directors and showrunners so many times. Recently, it was announced that the Halo series was treated as a legacy project for Steven Spielberg. A producer on set uh, told uh, Total Film, that's where this comes from, that Spielberg godfathered it in terms of reading every single script, helping choose showrunners, writers, directors, cast production design, and visual effects. He was involved in every aspect of it, and he looked at everything. Um that has me kind of excited to know that he was like, no, 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 hold on. We need this guy. We need this writer. We need this producer. Like, get, you know, and he read through every script going, okay, hold on. If we're going to do this, we got to get this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. That has me really excited. Um, yeah, so absolutely. My trash talk against the Halo show is legitly the voice of Master Chief because I think it's a poor decision and you guys should have known better. But I'm going to let it slide for right now until I see the show. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay, uh, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice 2 is in the works. Yeah, yeah. With Michael I mean, Keaton. I, I heard about this a while ago. I, I know, but. but here's the best part. Michael Keaton and Brad and, uh, Winona Ryder are going to return. Nice, that's great. Yeah, and it's going to be produced by Brad Pitt's Plan B Entertainment. Um, oh. so... <laughs> You said Brad Pitt earlier, and I was, I was really about curious to, how he was, was like, going to fit in right here. <laughs> I have multiple names written down in front of me, and I almost wrote the wrong one at the wrong time. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Um, but that doesn't mean he can't have a cameo, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, why not? Do you remember, this was a little while ago that I mentioned that they were going to do a Twisted Metal television series starring Anthony Mackie. Yeah. Yeah. I remember bringing this up, and I remember you being kind of excited, because I remember you enjoying the Twisted Metal games more than me. Um <laughs> It's going to have the uh, Deadpool writers are going to be in, are, are involved in it, and um, the producers from Cobra Kai are um, on the show. Anthony Mackie starring in it. The thing that makes me weirded about about the news of this show is that apparently it's going to release on Peacock. Yeah, it seems like I don't. It's weird. It's like one in five shows or movies seems like it's on Peacock nowadays. So yeah, that is kind of a. That's crazy, but I'm this show. I feel like needs to be pushing the edges of PG-13 into R rating. Like it's the right. only way to do a show like this, or you do a hard R with it, right? I feel <laughs> yeah, like absolutely. something like that. You look at a Showtime, you look at an HBO, you look at a Netflix. Do you jump on Peacock? Like that's the <laughs> that's the part that I'm scratching my head at a little bit, but I don't know yet, and. um so, yes, that'll be on Peacock, so if you have access to that, um, I guess you can check out Twisted Metal as soon as it releases. Did, was the, the Stand show or miniseries on Peacock? Um, I don't remember. I, uh, I know I, I know. I started watched. that, and I, What's yeah, called? I started it, and I never finished it, but for some reason I feel like it might be on Peacock, and I remember from what I saw, it was, of course, like, there's some pretty gory parts, so... Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see where this one goes. But, uh, no, I agree with you. You'd think that Twisted Metal would come out on, like, Shudder or something like that or <laughs> Netflix or somewhere where they could really push the envelope. So, yeah, that's a really good call, and it'll gotcha. be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about Lord of the Rings for a minute. All right. Lord of the Rings is releasing the new Lord of the Rings show, Rings of Power, is releasing from Amazon on Amazon. Um Apparently, Aragorn from the Lord of the Rings movie series, played by Viggo Mortensen, 
the character had a beard. Yeah. There is a huge internet, like, debate going on right now about how the beard is not canon. And I'm scratching my head as to why this is a thing that we need to be arguing. (laughs) So is it because in the books, Aragorn didn't have a beard? In the books, Aragorn did not have a beard, so his lineage, Isildur, his father would not have a beard either. Okay. Let me clarify something. Real. Does is there like does he have like elven blood in his I, heritage or me, what's the Here's I don't know. Here's what I have a thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know I feel like I'm ranting tonight more than I usually do. Here's the thing. When it's cold outside, like I usually am clean shaven, but when it's cold outside, I sometimes let it slide a couple days because it's warmer. I don't know if that sets as canon or not for my life. If you want a beard, you grow a beard out. If you don't like your haircut, you either cut it or you wait a little bit and you cut it like, (laughs) you know what I mean? I don't understand why he's creating this internet like outcry um, that uh, the Lord of the Rings, Aragorn's beard is uncanonical, uncanonical, and will the rings of power allow Isildur to have a beard or not? I really it's, don't. <laughs> if if I'm going like, to be honest, just before oh, you give your response, I want you to yeah. understand there are several articles right now whining and moaning about Aragorn having a beard now in the original Lord of the Rings movies, and that the new show should not allow Isildur to have one. I don't. <laughs> I think I think the phrase whining and moaning is like the perfect thing to point out because what I was going to say is. I think there's a lot of hype around this Lord of the Rings show, and there's a lot of um, criticism and nitpicking and hating going on. And I'm not going to say, like, it's not all warranted, but I do think there is a level of people just looking for stuff to to complain about at this point. And I feel like that's what this is an example of, because, like... People pr- people loved Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies so much, and I've never heard anybody complain about Aragorn's beard until now. <laughs> but right. like, people are starting to complain about it now just because they need something else to complain about with this Amazon series. And, like, I don't know. It's – I don't want to, like I- – I haven't, like, been paying a ton of attention, but I have seen a ton of complaints about this series online. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say, like n- – all the complaints aren't valid, but I do think there is a level of just people trying to find things to complain about. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I know. And I, I really, <laughs> it's like the answer to the question, is it canonical? It's really not that important <laughs> or seriousness. Serious. Absolutely. But, gonna, but if we have nothing else to complain about, I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like these are the problems we have. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, like the complaints about the prime version well, of War of the Rings. Here's the thing. We have a war breaking out. We have a war going on in Ukraine right now. And, you know, I didn't really want to bring up the Ukraine thing because, look, we want to have some fun and talk about stuff we like. It's horrible what's happening over there. My heart goes out to those people. I And, you know, it sucks that they're not going to be able to see the Batman because they halted the premiere over there because of the war. Yeah. But... but they're going through an actual crisis, and on the internet, they're complaining about Aragorn having a beard or not. What? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. You know, no, I, I absolutely, and that's kind of what I was trying to vaguely get at when I said these are the problems we have. You know, because yeah. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with what you yep. said. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. Two more stories, and then we can talk about tonight's list. Like I said, lots of news. Um, so first off, um, this one actually had me kind of excited. I've I've expressed my excitement for the Weird Al biopic, and yes. the image that was released <laughs> last week for um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al, like seeing him in costume with the accordion and stuff, just had me more excited. I'm like, this could be cool. Like, I'm really like thinking like, I think. This is an underrated project right now because I brought it up to a few people just inside conversations. And I'm like, really? Why are we doing a Weird Al biopic? I'm like, why are we not doing a Weird Al biopic? Um, <laughs> so I just think it's a cool idea. But what got me excited was who else is going to be in this? Because it was just announced that Evan Rachel Wood will be playing Madonna in the Weird Al biopic. Oh, crazy. And there's a screenshot. Um, I don't know if it's a set photo or if it's just her like – um, in costume for the sake of it, but there's a shot of her in costume, and you're just like, yeah, of course, let's do it. You know what I mean? This looks great. Um, <laughs> so, no, absolutely. I think uh, you're pointing out some good things because I've like ever since this was announced, I've been on board. I don't know if I've been on board with Daniel Radcliffe. Like, I'm gonna need to see a trailer to know how I feel about him playing Weird Al. But no, exactly, Madonna. We're gonna have. Uh, somebody representing Coolio in this movie. We're going to have a lot of really right. big name I know. musical artists from the think, past represented in here. You think about the fact that he did the the, the parody of uh, eat, uh, "Beat It" is "Eat It," which means right. it's a Michael Jackson parody. Are we going to get? Are we going to have a on screen? Are we going to have to have Michael Jackson cameo? Are we going to have like Red Hot Chili Peppers cameo? Are we going to have? You see what I'm saying? Like absolutely. Like the the sheer amount of people that are going to have to be involved in this. Like this could be like this massive massive film that I think people are not understanding because of the amount of parodies he had to, he, he has done. You know, but so. it's it's cool and I hope it's really big and it'll be cool if it's like this this film that comes out that we were kind of talking about on the podcast and maybe it takes everybody by surprise because like you said, most people are just like, well, why are they doing a weird Al biopic? But then when it comes out, like, of course this is going to actually be a really interesting project. So the more this weird Al thing develops, the more interested I am, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm just, like I said, I'm just really, um, I'm really excited for this, and I think Daniel Radcliffe's a really good choice, but I think he's he, he's just the weird enough guy to pull this off, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, final story of the night, and then we can talk about news. This is a partial movie story, partial science. The T-Rex, this comes out because, you know, we all love Jurassic Park. The Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex um, may actually be three different species. <laughs> Um, of course. <laughs> of course it is. Here's the thing. This is something I think is funny. When, you know, you're a kid and you start learning about dinosaurs, one of the first dinosaurs I learned about was the brontosaurus, right? It's one of the first dinosaurs most people know. However, as scientists have learned, the brontosaurus actually never existed. It was the, they were putting the bones together to what they thought were correct, and as science has advanced, as technology has advanced, and we've put more research into it, we've determined that the brontosaurus never actually was a dinosaur, and the bones were constructed incorrectly. Um, and that's where you get some of these other species. A study published this week proposes three species of Tyrannosaurus instead of the long-accepted single-species oh, okay. Rex. 
researchers analyzed dozens of T-Rex specimens, of which three are only about 50 known to science. They found larger-than-expected variations in leg size and number of teeth. So, you know, when you think about, you know, just, like, there's, there's minute differences, but it apparently looks like it wasn't just a single creature. Um, right. I just think it's interesting that, at like, here's the thing. I used to know all the dinosaurs' names. Then I saw Jurassic Park, and I thought I knew everything. And then I put dinosaurs away for a little bit, and then I was like, what's going on in the dinosaur world? And then I realized I didn't know anything, because they've discovered so many things since. Um, so when I saw yeah, this laugh, I was like, oh, crap, they just took another dinosaur away from me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, it it is cool. Like, I feel like... In my lifetime, I can't believe the amount of new stuff they know about dinosaurs and how, like, when I was younger, I feel like the idea that dinosaurs were feathered was, like, a pretty fringe idea. And now it's, like, pretty much, like, common knowledge that most dinosaurs actually did have feathers and stuff like that. And, uh, no, I think it's, um, I actually like this story because what the way you brought it up at first, I thought you were saying that the T-Rex in general was like this sort of kind of a similar situation you were saying with the uh, Brontosaurus, where it was like a chimerical like combination of a couple different dinosaurs. And I got kind of worried that T-Rexes didn't exist for a second there. But the idea that there's actually a couple different species of them, I actually think that's really interesting and that's pretty cool. And uh, I mean, I don't know. I see it as a win. We get more T-Rexes at the end of the day. (laughs) You know what I mean? I know. Well, that's the thing. Like more T-Rexes. What's the next? (laughs) You know? Um, All right, that is enough for me. We went way longer than we usually do, but they just the stories just kept dropping, and every time I like opened my phone, I was like, "Oh crap, something else to talk about." Um, but that's okay. I love the conversation. So let's move on to the list. Peter, you ready to talk about that tonight? Yeah, let's go for it. Awesome. All right. So Ryan, do us a favor and roll the thing. Top five. Peter, this is your pick, so why don't you explain to the audience what we are talking about tonight? Well, last week we did a top five superhero films before 2005. So you know when I was putting my list together, I was looking at old Superman movies and old Batman movies, and I started thinking about the movie Batman Forever, and that led me down the rabbit hole that led to this list, which is our top five favorite Jim Carrey movies. Um, There's not too much more to it than that. Um, I've kind of been in a little bit of, like, a old, like, 90s comedy mood lately, too, so that kind of lent into this list as well. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this list, Drew, or if you just want to jump in. I, my thoughts are, um, my thoughts are, I think we're going to match a lot. Um, (laughs) I basically opened up the IMDb page and looked at everything Jim Carrey was in and I started writing down like every movie that I've seen of his because there's some movies I, yes, I have not seen, but I literally was like, wow, I've, I've seen literally almost, almost every movie he's been in and, um, when I narrowed, I literally like what I always do when I make my short list, I write down titles and I just tick off. I'll make a I'll make a tick mark 
as if it's going to be one that will create a yeah. shortlist. You know what I mean? So I'll write down everything, and then to create the shortlist, I'll just put a little tick mark next to the title, right? And then I counted up my tick marks. So just so if you're a first-time listener, we always do five movies. It's a top five list, but we allow for two honorable mentions. So when I counted up my tick marks, I had seven. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, they all make the list. You know what I mean? There you like, go, yeah. Like, it was funny, and now I just had to figure out what my honorable mentions were. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's, um, that's actually really, really similar to the process I went through. Like, that's almost identical to how my list came about. The one thing I'll say is I think my list almost focuses a little bit more on the dumb comedy side of Jim Carrey than maybe the, uh, you know, the, like, actually good movie side of Jim Carrey. So that's a interesting thing we can talk about later, but I take it. You have two honorable mentions, um, as do I. I, So (laughs) I do. Um, and I feel like, and it's weird. I feel like my honorable, like weirdest part about this is like, what makes an honorable mention? And when you go, Oh really? That doesn't make your full list. (laughs) Um, right. So my first honorable mention is the mask. Oh, nice. Um, The only reason this makes an honorable mention and doesn't go higher up on the list is because I really, really, really liked this movie a lot when it first came out. So much so that I overwatched it. Yeah, I can see that. And that's why it makes an honorable mention. Like, it's not, I don't find it funny anymore because what, how, when did the movie come out? It's probably been 20 years, maybe longer (laughs) since the movie came out. And I still could probably quote the movie before the movie happens, like before think, the line, before the line comes up, I could probably tell you what the next line is. I think it's um, actually almost thirty years. <laughs> I know, like I still like I know the movie so well. I overwatched. Yeah, it, you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. and I really and it bugs me out a little bit that they never did a sequel. I really feel like in a world today, if the mask were released today and was successful, there'd be at least there'd be a full franchise. So the thing is, there actually was at least two sequels, but they didn't have Jim Carrey. <laughs> I know. But the Jimmy well, Kennedy sequel is not what we wanted. Well, I guess like Aragorn's beard, those sequels are not canon. Not according to our <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, awesome. Well, um, no, I, I think The Mask is a great movie. I... Um, I really like watching it. I love that it's a combination of just, like, a bombastic comedy and the sort of just, like, weird cartooniness of Jim Carrey's portrayal of that character. Um, I, uh, it's one of those movies that I put on and I don't laugh, but I still, like, (laughs) like, I like to watch it. And like you, Drew, I've watched this movie so many times, I can almost recite the movie word for word, but it's kind of like I get an enjoyment out of doing that for some reason. So I don't know. It's also still a movie that gets quoted sometimes. Right. I, I said, I told my kid to get the keys one day. And as soon as I said it, as soon as the word get the keys came out of my mouth, I was like, get the keys, get the keys, Milo, get the keys. No, not the (laughs) cheese, put the cheese down, get the keys. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's just, that's a little bit more of a deep cut joke, which I appreciate. You know, you didn't say, like, smoking or something like that. Like, I like that one. Or, like, look, Ma, I'm roadkill and, like, stuff like that more than, you know, P-A-R-T-Y because I got to, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and, you know, it's funny is when you spelled party, you just 
didn't when he did it in the movie, you're just like, that's really funny that that's how that you know spells out. <laughs> P-A-R- that was the coolest thing. I, I was like, because I gotta, you know. Anyway, back in 1994 or whenever this movie came out, like that was the coolest words that had ever been uttered <laughs> by, <laughs> by a human being for some reason. <laughs> um, I know. But uh, let's see. Moving into my yeah, first your first honorable mention. mention. Let's we yeah the mask. Anyway, um, I actually went with another like similarly cartoony movie. I would say I went with Batman Forever. Um, and this is a movie that, first of all, I feel like Jim Carrey was always the perfect actor to play the Joker, but he never got the chance. But they, I almost feel like they casted him as the Riddler because they just wanted him to be the Joker. <laughs> But the Joker had already been done, and he got that role, you know what I mean? What were you going to say? Oh, go ahead. You were talking. I Sorry, it was just like, a, it was more of the, oh, okay, yeah. Anyway, yeah, but but no, I, I Batman Forever, I think it has its high points and its low points. Like, I think there's some really good moments in the movie. There's a lot of really goofy, more cartoony stuff. But I do appreciate the movie as a whole. I like the, um, I guess I like it as, like, the artistic choices in this movie. Like, I feel like Batman, like the original 1989 Batman movie had a lot of really sophisticated design choices and stuff. And I feel like once we get to Batman forever, everything starts to be a little bit more cartoony, but I do really like some of the choices they made. I like the boldness of kind of how ridiculous the Batmobile looks, but how cool it looks in a really unique way and stuff like that. And, uh, I don't know. I, I like Batman Forever. I <laughs> I don't really know where else to go, but yeah, that's my first honorable mention. All right, nice. You know, I realized we could this list very fast. Um, What's that? This list could go quick. Yeah, yeah. Because I have a feeling we're gonna match a lot, but we haven't uh, we haven't talked about an actor actor's career in a while, so that's cool. Um, okay, so my next honorable mention is the Cable Guy. Um, awesome. I really 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 enjoyed this movie. Um, and the, um, and this is a darker tone for Jim Carrey. And I read an article a long time ago about how, um, he did the cable guy specifically because he got annoyed with his fans and he was trying to scare them away a little bit. And, um, I think the popularity, when you looked at, um, when you looked at his popularity of Ace Ventura and the mask and stuff, he started like gaining this massive popularity that, um, he, uh, um, I think he was trying to scare away his fans a little bit and the movie is dark. And I think it did the job that he was hoping for, but the movie's really good, man. Um, it's a really funny movie. There's all these really funny bits to it. And what really made me remember this movie a little bit was the, uh, cable guy, uh, Super Bowl commercial, if you didn't see it. Um, <laughs> which, which I thought was funny. I'm like, I can't believe they're actually doing this, but that's really hilarious. Um, but yeah, the cable guy is actually a pretty decent movie, even aside from like the silliness that Jim Carrey brings to it. It's an actually kind of a good story. So yeah. And there's some great one-liners and, like, little comedic bits that you're just like, God, that's comedy gold. And, like, they still ring in my ear, like, God, that's hysterical. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Cable guy, but, yeah. No, I I had some thoughts, but I think, like, you really summed up the movie really well. Um, And I don't know where to go, but I might be mentioning this movie again later. So maybe maybe I'll add to it later on. (laughs) Right. Um, I can move into my next one, which is... uh, 
it's kind of weird. Both my honorable mentions were uh, superhero movies, but uh, I went with Kick-Ass 2, which Kick-Ass 2, I feel like people don't like very much, especially compared to the first movie. I had a lot of fun with Kick-Ass 2. I think uh, Jim Carrey uh, did a good job playing uh, Colonel Stars and Stripes in this movie. And uh, this is a movie that I haven't watched in a while, but I just remember enjoying it and thinking it was a solid, like, superhero slash comedy film. Um, you know, it was a solid follow-up to the first one. I don't think this movie's perfect. I think it has its flaws, but I enjoyed it, and I definitely enjoyed his uh, portrayal in this movie as well. So you know, I don't know if I have too much to say on it, but yeah. I liked Kick-Ass 2 a lot. Uh, nice. I really did. I just, it was funny. It was like the first movie had such magic to it. Yeah. Um, that I think my expectations going into Kick-Ass 2 were higher than they should have been. If that right. makes sense. Um, so I didn't like it as much as I liked the first one, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, that's the thing, like, when I got done with the first one, as much as I enjoyed the first one, I wanted, I just wanted more Hit Girl. Like, she was, like, my favorite part of the first movie. And I almost feel like they doubled down on everyone's fandom of Hit Girl. And, <laughs> um, kind of made it more of a hit girl movie where she wasn't she was more main character than she was supporting like she was in the first one if that makes sense and i don't know if that i don't want to yeah, say that's, that's a, what that's a good i don't know if that's what did it but it's just you know like i feel like they were just like well crap now we need this now we need that you know so on and so on so yeah and i'm kind of um i've never read the kick-ass comics so i'm kind of curious if that's how closely to the comics the uh, second movie follows uh, that story, you know, like do the comics start to focus on hit girl as much in the same way, if that makes sense. Like that's a question that I have personally. So yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I just, yeah, I agree. I kick ass too. Um, all right. So should I do my first pick or do you have any more to add to that? No. Yeah. Yeah. You can go for your first one. All right. So a lot of people's first, I feel like when I talk to people about Jim Carrey, a lot of people first think about um, their first, I guess, interaction or first introduction of the character was Ace Ventura. Um, I feel like that was probably the first big, giant, mainstream thing he did. Um, however, like, I remember Jim Carrey from In Living Color and... Um, the rubber face and some of his stand-up comedy stuff. That was my first um, introduction to Jim Carrey. And then Ace Ventura came out. Um, right. First movie that I'm going to talk about is a movie that I remember from the eighties, which um, for, I don't know why this caught my attention, but I, I ended up watching it several times. I really enjoyed it. It's the movie once bitten. Do you know what this is? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I remember watching this kind of back when Jim Carrey first started like became a household name i caught this movie on tv or something and then i've actually watched it i watched it a couple years ago um so yeah i'm definitely familiar with this one but yeah keep going um i just so this is basically a vampire movie jim carrey in high school gets bit by a vampire and becomes a vampire and like it's a vampire adventure film like in high school in the 80s it's hysterical like just the concept alone but he wasn't trying to be he wasn't trying to be comedic. It was like a comedy, but he wasn't his normal, silly, comedic self. It was just he was just the lead actor in this vampire film. Um, but the movie's really kind of entertaining and fun. But I have this like soft spot for vampire films for some reason. So 
Um, I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it's, it's steeped in like the most ridiculous 80s stuff too. Like when you talk about <laughs> clothing and like the music and like, you know what I right. mean? Throwing all the vampire stuff on top of it. It just gets even more weird. Um, but yeah, it's just really funny, but it's basically like the high school kid who gets bit by a vampire and then he's slowly turning into it. And you know, when you deal with the high school angst, going through puberty and getting turned into a vampire all at the same time, it's a lot to deal with in your social life. <laughs> so, um, and then throw in the fact that it takes place in the eighties, you know, why not? But absolutely. No, I, I, once I, I like, bit, everyone should see it. It's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, I do like this movie and I feel like it does have a really distinct eighties comedy character to it. Um, I think that, uh, it is interesting because it's not your most bombastic Jim Carrey you've ever seen. Like this movie, his character is a lot closer to like Stanley Ibkist than, you know, it is to the mask. And I think that, uh, I don't know. He kind of just plays like this really shy, normal, like teenager sort of guy. And, uh, I don't know. I think that's what's interesting about this movie is it's just like Jim Carrey, but he's not being really bombastic and hamming it up. But at the end of the day, it is kind of just a fun, 80s teen comedy slash horror film, you know what I mean? So I definitely yeah. like this one. So, yeah. Um, well, what's your first pick for the night? Yeah, so um, I could actually go with a couple ones that you've already mentioned. So I could go with The Mask for my first pick. This is one of my favorite Jim Carrey movies, and I really, really do love the uh, kind of like how – I feel like this movie is as close as you can go to a hybrid film without it being a hybrid film. Like, it's as close as you can take 3D actors being to 2D animated characters without it actually going the full Roger Rabbit route, if that makes sense. And I really appreciate the cartooniness and the sort of homages to, like, Looney Tunes and Tex Avery and all that that's in there. So uh this movie just... Like Drew, you, like you said, I've seen this so many times, but this movie just has a soft spot for me because I just think it's so fun, and I'm always down to watch The Mask. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I hear you. I'm if it's on, it's something I'll throw on for the sake of it. Um, and hey, that's the first. That's our first introduction to Cameron Diaz. To be completely honest, I mean, right. Like, um, but yeah, no, it's just, <laughs> I've watched. I've overwatched that film. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so my next pick for the night is Bruce Almighty. Um, oh, nice. I really, I feel like in terms of his acting career, like Jim Carrey, he has his wacky, funny side, and then he has his serious side. And I felt like this was one of those, he has a handful of movies that's the, it's a nice bridge between the two. And yeah. um, this is one of those movies I feel like is a nice bridge between the two. But then you throw in, like... Um, Steve Carell and Morgan Freeman and Jennifer Aniston, and you throw in these like you know Lake Bell and uh, or Catherine Bell, not Lake Bell, Catherine Bell, and you throw in some of these other like bigger actors, and you're just like it kind of flushes things out, and it becomes this like really cool story. Um, I really enjoyed um Bruce Almighty mostly because of the concept of having God's powers and doing what you want, but then having to turn around and like the moral aspect of it, like well, it's also a big responsibility. Crap, it's the Spider-Man thing again. Great power comes great responsibility. Anyway, yeah. um, but I just, overall, it's it's just a fun movie from beginning to end as a whole. And he got to be, he had these great serious moments. At the same time, he got to have his, like, funny, wacky side, too. So, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is a great film. Um, I don't know that I have too much to add to it, but kind of hearing your description of it, it makes me feel like uh, maybe this one should should have made my list, but it just, you know, barely didn't. But no, this is definitely a great pick. And I think you're right. Like, this is a good balance between goofy Jim Carrey and serious Jim Carrey. And it's a really the movie has a really good heartwarming message to it and stuff like that. So this is definitely a great pick overall. Yeah. Um, what else you got, man? Yeah. So, uh, for my next one, I could go with another one that, uh, you already mentioned and get it out of the way, but, uh, I went with the cable guy and, uh, oddly enough, yeah, oddly enough, this is one that I was going to save till the end because I really think this is my favorite Jim Carrey movie. And I don't know what it is about this film, but I think part of it is this is one of the ones that's from like early in his career, but it's one, but I, when it came out, I didn't watch it ad nauseum like I did with The Mask or Ace Ventura. But also, like, something about this movie, since the plot is so demented, like, it's kind of like a weird stalker story. And it has, like, the really funny, ridiculous Jim Carrey bits and, like, all his, like, imitations of different TV characters and stuff. Like, it has that humorous and entertainment value But I think because the story, like, has such a demented undertone, I just can't get enough of it. Like, I'm always down to watch this movie, and I think it's just, it's super entertaining in all the right ways, where there is, like, a suspenseful element to it, and, uh, yeah, that sort of maniacal undertone that you can't turn your head away from. But then at the same time, you get to hear Jim Carrey quote a million different, uh, you know, TV shows and do like all these really just great bits and stuff like that. And, uh, I mean, there's the whole scene at medieval times, which is amazing. You know, I love medieval times and <laughs> so many times there's like a movie that My, has like a scene, uh, evoking that. I just love it. But what were you going to say? One of my favorite like lines ever in the history of like film writing is, um, it from that movie and it's when they're at medieval times janine garofalo comes out and she says hi my name is gwendolyn i'll be your serving wench um is there anything i can get you and jim care i think i don't remember if it was jim carrey or ben stiller was like can i get a fork no it was matthew broderick not ben stiller he goes can i get a fork and she goes there are no forks in medieval times hence there are no forks at medieval times, would you like a Pepsi? <laughs> and just when she said that, it just killed me. Just be, you know, what I, like it's just that's comedy gold, man. That was so well. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's a great line. And like thinking about that part, and there's like some other parts. Like I think it's actually at the medieval times when uh, Jim Carrey does like the Silence of the Lamb thing with the chicken skin on his face. That's, like, a joke that I didn't get when I first watched the movie. But then when I rewatched it when I was older and I had seen Silence of the Lambs, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. And I think because of all the references that are baked into this movie, I think it has a lot of rewatchability. And it actually, like, it kind of gets better the more more you go on with your life and get more knowledge of the world and pop culture – I feel like the the cable guy surprisingly becomes better and better as it ages yeah. in, in that way. So, yeah. All right. Is it my next pick? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my next one is Yes Man. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Did you ever see this? 
Yeah, yeah, I love this movie. Okay. I just I didn't think it was going to be brought up, but no, this one this, <laughs> this is, one's great. This is, a, this is another perfect example where Jimmy Carrey got to be serious, but the comedy. What I loved about this comedy was Jim Carrey got to be a silly self that he normally is, but he he played everything like super straight, and it was like a lot of the comedy existed around him. Whereas an actor, as a comedian, he got to play off of the comedy that is happening around. Right. Him. So the un, the ridiculous circumstances, like when you throw in the fact that you got like Reese Darby as his boss, and Reece yeah, Darby, like Reese Darby being a com- comedian in his own right had like some of the like just these great bits, and then you throw in Jim Carrey's reaction to things. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then the fact that he's got to say yes to everything is really funny because he misunderstood the whole self-help seminar, if you will. Um, yeah. It was just really, like, cool how that all played out. They, it's it's a, I just think it's a really great, like, aside from being a cool story, it was really great to watch him as an actor explore the space <laughs> of that. Of like, the way yeah. he had to portray things. So, um, yeah, that's why Yes Man, it, like, Yes Man's a movie that I'll stop flipping channels because I enjoyed it so much, but it's really an issue of the performance of the actor and, like, being able to play with the space that they were allowed to play with, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would agree with that. I think, um, yeah, this movie is one that I'm kind of always down uh, to watch. Um, it's a, it's a great movie. Um, there's two parts of this movie that I really, really love, and one is when, uh, Jim Carrey goes to, you said it was Reese Darby, that's the actor's name, when, uh, that's, Jim that's Carrey, who play, that's who plays his boss at the bank. Yeah, and, and Jim Carrey goes to his party, that's like a Harry Potter thing. Harry party, Potter but party, it's, right? It's just way more hardcore than, uh, Jim Carrey, and, um, uh, Zoe Deschanel. Yes, yes, thank you, that's the actress's name, that they, then they were expecting, and, uh, I love the part when they finish watching, uh, the first one, the sorcerer, yeah, the sorcerer's stone, and then Jim Carrey's like, alright, I guess we're gonna head out, and everybody's like, where the hell are you going? <laughs> we still have a bunch of movies left to watch. <laughs> I love that part, and then the other part that I love is when, um, there's like Bradley Cooper, and I can't remember his, who plays his other friend. It was, but, uh, uh, I, I, um, oh, it's the guy who plays Hyde in uh, that yeah. TV show. They both go to and his Masterson. apartment. What's his first name? I that, feel like I feel like it's one of those weird firsts or like one syllable names that's like not really a name. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway yeah, um, he's buried in sex scandals right now. But anyway, so it's him. Yeah, I, I, I have heard about that. Um, but. No, I just love the part when they go to his apartment and and Jim Carrey's like trying to avoid going out with them. So he is like lying on his couch pretending to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fly starts like landing on his face and like it goes it lands on his eyeball and then it goes in its in his mouth and it's just like such a hilarious bit. <laughs> like I love that part. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah, it's got there's so many funny bits in that movie. Um yeah, anyway. Yes, man. Um, That's just one I think everyone should watch. It's just really funny. So, anyway, Right on. Go ahead. Okay, so going into my next pick, um, I'm going to go with Liar, Liar. Um, oh. This is a classic Jim Carrey movie. For a while, I actually would tell people this is the one that I thought was the best, but I, as far as, like, his old comedy movies goes. But 
I mean, obviously, by my description, I think I'd give that to Cable Guy nowadays. But I think Liar Liar, it has such a heart. It's a, it's such a heartwarming movie. Like, it's a really feel-good movie, but it, it's so hilarious. And just seeing, like, Jim Carrey being this lawyer who just, like, has to lie to get through his daily life. And all the ridiculous hijinks that ensue when he's forced to tell the truth for a full day, like... It's just so, it's so funny. Like, it's such a simple but genius concept, and I just love it. And I feel like everybody's seen this movie a million times, so I don't want to go on and on about it. But, Drew, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one. I just think this is one of the best Jim Carrey movies, and it's just just classic. I'm always happy to watch this one. So this is another one where I overwatched. Um, Oh, nice. (laughs) Um Yes, this is also one that got quoted a lot, like, when my group of friends, when it came out. You know what I mean? And, like, right. I think some of my favorite parts about this is when, is the courtroom stuff. Um, and yeah. the stuff relating to his job. I feel like that was the stuff that was the most fun to me. Like, there was so many, like, little bits in there that were really funny. Like, he can't tell a lie, and he's got to, like, work his way through it. Which brought out some of the comedy in the writing. Not just in his acting, but in the writing itself. And the writers were like, well, crap, he can't tell a lie, so how do we do this? How do we work through this? Um, so there's kind of a master class, I think, in the in the writing aspect of this movie. Um, but some of the courtroom stuff, just, I love it when the girl's like, you know, when he's, he's like... He's doing everything he can to prolong it, and then he's like, you know, height, weight, and she gives him the weight, and he's like, yeah, in your bra, and then, like, he's like, I can't believe you, did. I can't believe I just said that, you know what I mean? Like, um, the, the, like I, I said, that's where I think all the comedy gold is, is all the courtroom stuff, and some of the outtakes are really, really funny. So, oh, right on, yeah, I feel like it was, I feel like it was like during the credits they show a lot of the outtakes, and it's just so good. Um, this is one of those movies that, like, thinking more about it, I feel like this is one of those movies that they probably came up with a concept, like, okay, what if it's a guy who can't lie for a full day? Oh, and we'll make him a lawyer. And then they were like, oh, and then this could happen. And they, it's almost like they came up with all these different hilarious bits. And then they were like, all right, crap. And now we have to build a story around it sort of thing. But I think they pulled it off really well. So yeah, yeah, that's my next pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Liar Liar is good. I just rewatched, I just not rewatched it. I overwatched it, which is a problem. Um, so, um, yeah, but I just hope no one makes a wish like that on a birthday cake against me. So, you know. <laughs> um, all right. So my next one for the night is Batman Forever. Awesome. Um, now, yes, I'm a Batman fan. Um, so that's no surprise that this movie made my list. But specifically Jim Carrey's performance. Um, the only performances we really had of the Riddler, we had the animated series which was a dark take on everything because it kind of mirrored the Bert, Tim Burton universe, if you will. Um, and it wasn't a comedic take on the Riddler. It was a very serious take on the Riddler. Um, when you looked at the other example we had was Batman 66. And that was very Frank Gorshin. Um, and he took it to a whole nother level. And I feel like Joel Schumacher, when they did Batman Forever, they basically said, we need this bit to be serious here, but then you're going to be the Riddler, and yes, you're psychotic, but we need a little Frank Gorshin in there. And Jim Carrey ran with it, and I think he did his homework, because 
prior to becoming the Riddler, when he was still Edward Nygma, he hasn't gone through that psychological change where he puts on the suit and is, quote-unquote, the Riddler. Um, he was... Um, he was a very serious, psychologically messed up scientist working under Wayne Enterprises. And then the thing happened, the flip, the flip the switch, if you will, and he becomes the Riddler. He gets more and more Frank Gorshin as it goes, but it was a very dark take on things. And, um, I think it was a lot more psychologically disturbing than I think we all take it for. It's a very funny comedic performance. And I really do think it steals the show in the sense that um, when you look at the two villains, um, I think Tommy Lee Jones went in going, I have to do Batman 66 because that was Tommy Lee Jones only understanding of Batman. Right. But um, when you look at the villains in that movie, he was like, well, I'm Jim Carrey. I got to be funny because that's what they're paying me to do. But this is a <laughs> psychological thing that this character is going through. And this is how this character is processing it based on what, the character was prior. I just, it's really cool to watch the range of that from the evolution of where he was to where he got to. So. No, absolutely. I think, um, yeah. And I, I know I just, a, I know I just deep dived into that, which I didn't expect us to be. No, in, but, you know what I mean? So no, but it's true. And it's good because it really analyzes, uh, Jim Carrey's performance in that movie. And I think you're spot on where, the like his character's descent into the madness that turns him into the Riddler was just so well played, you know, and I'm just thinking about the movie and the even like the soundtrack and the music choices that kind of highlight uh, Edward Nigma's descent into madness. Like it's pretty I think just looking at that aspect of the movie, like I really do think the movie pulled that off really well. Um, I remember watching an old YouTube video. I don't know what YouTuber it was. This is a long time ago, but there's some, some guy who was talking about how Batman forever was one of his favorite Batman movies because before the, uh, Snyder verse, you know, like pre Batman V Superman, he felt like this was the Batman movie that had the most detective work in it. Um, this is the movie that had the Riddler and Batman's actually trying to solve riddles and mysteries and he really appreciated that aspect of it. And that's something that I think, looking back on Batman Forever, not enough people think about. But there was a lot of detective work in that movie um, based around the Riddler. And I think that's a cool aspect to uh, keep in mind, for sure. So, Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's why Batman Forever makes it up. Just in terms of, like, the – just in terms of this, this is, like, a little biased opinion because I love Batman and I'm such a fan, but then you throw in, like, Jim Carrey as the Riddler, and the only thing that's going to be weird is going to see the Batman tomorrow, and Paul Dano is going to be playing the Riddler, and it's going to be this dark psychological Seven-esque story, and I'm really, like, just curious to see where they're going to go with it, so, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, what's your next one? I know we're getting yeah. close to the end here, so. Yeah, absolutely. So, moving a, a little bit away from uh, the comedy aspect of things, my next pick, I actually went with The Truman Show, and uh, this is a movie that I think I was in, like, third or fourth grade when this movie came out, and I, to be honest, I think I've only seen this movie two or three times in my whole life, but the thing about this movie is I think about this movie constantly. Like, I feel like every other week <laughs> I think about The Truman Show, and it's a really interesting thing, and there's a lot of really cool conspiracy aspects you can look at this movie with and stuff, but there's also just, like, 
there's just so many cool concepts in this movie, and I think Jim Carrey played the role really well. And it's just a really interesting story about a guy who's in this sort of reality TV show, and he doesn't know that he actually is. And this is like reality TV before reality TV existed. You know, this is like, it's kind of weird how this movie predated that. And I just think, I don't know this one I had to pick just because, and it's kind of weird because I haven't watched it in a while and I don't know how it holds up. But like I said, I haven't watched this movie as much as I've watched the mask or liar, liar, or really any other movie on my list. But I think about it all the time, and I really think there's something to be said about it. Like, I really do. This movie really has stuck with me um, in a really profound way. So I don't know too much else what to say. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, Drew, but I just think this is a great movie everyone needs to see at least once, you know? This movie is another one that shows Jim Carrey's range as an actor, and I'm a firm believer um, I love watching actors work their craft. And I always think it's interesting that Sometimes you take an actor, you take like a drama, a drama actor, someone who's known for the dramatic roles and put them in a comedy and they're not very good. And then you take a comedic actor and put them in a drama role and they're astounding. Absolutely. I'm a firm believer of the fact that the reason that is, is because comedic actors understand timing better than simply drama actors and I'm talking about timing in terms of line delivery and like yes there's different ways you can deliver a line but the timing and the way you say the words the timing and the gravity you put behind certain words if you put a level of weight on one word or an emphasis on a word in a sentence it completely changes the sentence and I've always felt that comedic actors understand that better than drama actors and their range can go all different directions and it's a much wider range if you learn your comedy stuff at the, at the, on the same level, if you will. Um, I really, and this is one of those movies that um, I really, it really shows Jim Carrey's range. Um, and it really shows how good of an actor he really is. It also scares me to think that reality television came from this. Um, <laughs> where someone was like, that's an interesting idea, let's do that. <laughs> But I also think what happened was someone saw this movie and said, ooh, we should do something like this. And then they made the movie Ed TV. And then right. someone saw that movie and went, ooh, that's a thing. And now we have reality television, which isn't reality television at this point anymore. So, you know. Um, well, now yeah. you're just making me want to go down the rabbit hole and see, um, you know, what – did the Truman show predate like the real world, for example, because I'm actually not sure like what came, you know, was reality TV around before the Truman show? I'm really not sure. So it's, it's a really weird chicken and the egg sort of situation, but um, also relating to comedians playing serious roles. Um, I'll keep this really quick cause it's kind of a tangent, but I remember um, I don't remember what movie, but there was a movie that uh, Anthony Hopkins was in with Chris Rock. And I remember seeing an, and I don't know if you know the movie I'm talking about drew, this is like early two thousands, I want to say, but I saw an interview with Anthony Hopkins around the time that this movie came out, and he said that he was just so impressed with Chris Rock as just a performer, and he mentioned that he thinks that comedy is the hardest thing to portray, and he thought that comedians are the smartest and best 
actors of all. And I thought that was a really interesting quote. And there's something to be said for like Anthony Hopkins, like one of the undisputed best actors of all time saying that Chris Rock's performance, he just thought was so amazing and impressive because comedy is legit that hard to do. So just kind of an interesting tidbit that you reminded me of. So, yeah, no, and that's, that's the truth of it, you know? So at any rate, um, all right, so I guess it's my last pick of the night, and yeah. we haven't talked about it yet. I have a feeling we matched on this one, <laughs> or at least I hope we did, and that's Ace Ventura. Um, oh, no, I went with Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, actually, I actually did go with Ace Ventura, yeah. so awesome. <laughs> um, so the thing with Ace Ventura, this is a movie that I have definitely overwatched, but it does not ever get old. It really doesn't. It also doesn't hold up. I don't know if you've watched it recently. <laughs> um, I Yeah, I mean, there's some, like, major plot points that I think are super offensive <laughs> and <there's some laughs> with watching that, with 2022 eyes. So. And I do think there's some plot holes and stuff like that that I never noticed before. But this okay. is, like, but this is one of those movies that really, like, comedy gold stands on its own is just, it's awesome from beginning to end. And this is one of those, like, first... This is where some people, this is their first introduction to Jim Carrey and what he is and what he can do. And yep. it, it, the movie is hilarious. And it's also nonstop hilarity, if you will. Yep. Um, like every line is funny. Every moment's funny. Every scene is funny. Like what can we have him do next? <laughs> it just doesn't stop. And there's so many quotable sequences of it. I was at a the Super Bowl party I went to. Um, they had, there were football cookies. And as soon as I saw him, all I could think was, Dan Marino should die of gonorrhea and rotten hell. Would Absolutely. Like Laces <laughs> out. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just start immediately quoting stuff. It's just so funny. Um, yeah. Anyway, what were you going to say about Ace Ventura? No, I was just laughing because you're talking about the movie just being so full of, like, quotable moments and great moments. And I was just actually thinking about, like, even some of the quiet moments of this movie are so funny. Just certain things that Ace Ventura do- does, like when he goes to, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but when they're at the like really rich party, um, and uh, Jim Carrey's kind of just like walking around mingling, uh, and he his walks. Name was Clamp. His last name was Clamp. What was his first name? Oh, well, I'm not sure. But I'm, uh, I'm drawing a blank. But his last name was something <laughs> Clamp. Anyway, the part where there's there's like a string ensemble like playing classical music oh. and Jim Carrey walks by the cellist and like pulls at the guy's bow to make him screw up <laughs> and it's just so obnoxious but it's so good um but no this movie is amazing like I feel like Jim Carrey's dialogue in this movie is so it's so tightly filled with so many different jokes and references and stuff like the references to other movies and concepts and stuff, I actually feel like it's a really smartly, like, tightly written movie. And it's almost to the point where, like, some parts it almost feels like it's a one-man show of just Jim Carrey spouting off the most hilarious dialogue and monologues like you've ever heard. But, uh no, this movie is just, it's just great. Um I love it. Like you said, it doesn't get old. Um One of the things that really surprised me about this film is after years after seeing it, I remember watching like a behind the scenes featurette or something like that about this movie on TV. And they mentioned that this movie was low budget and it kind of caught me off guard because this is a movie I grew up with and I always thought of as a big movie. But when you look back on it, it's like, no, this movie is low budget. 
like it's kind of just bare bones, just really hilarious um, dialogue and stuff the whole time. But you don't think about that when you watch it. But when at the end of the day, it comes down to like, yeah, it is low budget, but they did have like Dan Marino in it. And stuff, so it wasn't that low budget, but it is kind of cool. Like this movie is like a basic, like bare bones, like just hilarious comedy. You know, it doesn't re- rely on special effects or spectacle or anything. It's just, Jim Carrey does doing what he does best. So I, I just really love this one. I feel like I could go on and on, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And we could go on and on. Like we could do a whole show on Ace Ventura if we really wanted to, but I really, <laughs> enjoy, I love this movie. And it's, it's funny because it comes up in conversation every now and then. And you're like, I need to rewatch that movie. Um, so Absolutely. Many, so many great bits with the box scene at the beginning of the film. Um, in the opening credits to like, you know, the dolphin scene that for some reason him talking like the dolphin, the whole dolphin trainer thing is constantly edited every time it's like on television, edited out. And I'm trying to figure out where's the offense, but whatever. I wonder if it's Um, just for time. It could be time. It could be the accent that he's doing. I have no idea. Like what, why Uh, is that offensive to somebody? I don't know, but (laughs) Who knows? Like, that's the part, that one, I'm like, oh, here comes, I love the scene, and then they go to commercial, and you're like, what? And then you come back, and it's not that sequence, you yeah. know, whatever. I also loved that this was a movie that came out that, I don't know what it was, but Jim, like, Ace Ventura, when you think about it, like, it would be really easy for this character to be, like, this super dorky, weird character, when you think about how he acts and his attributes and stuff, but when this movie came out, it was like, every boy who was, like, a teenager and younger wanted to be Ace Ventura, you know? <laughs> They're like, this right. is the coolest person I've ever seen. But you think back on it, it's like, it's crazy that Jim Carrey pulled that off because, honestly, anybody else would have made this character, like, super dorky, you know? And you think of really weird characters like that. Like, I think of, like, Mr. Bean or, like, I don't know, yeah, like, I don't, know. I don't like, know if Ace Ventura would have worked for any other actor. I really absolutely, don't. yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It was just it was just the perfect blend is really what it was. Um, All right. So you ready to close this one out, man? Yeah. I mean, it's been <laughs> it's been a journey. It's been it's been a journey. <laughs> I want to get some sleep because I feel like we've, uh, we've I feel like we've just went to Mount Doom and we're about to throw Aragorn's beard in the uh, the lava right now. Yeah. We, <laughs> That's how long we've been doing beard. this episode. Only. <laughs> The only way to destroy that beard because it's not canon and it's not acceptable. <laughs> no, it's still door. You cannot have that beard. Anyway, um, all right. So next week, uh, because of the bullet train trailer, I thought it'd be fun to discuss our favorite movies that have that are about assassins. And I realized we. Oh ne- wow! I feel like I realized we've never talked about that before. Now, I feel it's a little unfair because we're not going to get a chance to see Bullet Train before we redo this list, but I also thought to myself, this could be a fun topic because we've never talked about assassins before. Or, not that we haven't, it's just we've never really focused on that specific each topic. So, So, yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool list. So Yeah, so let's see what happens. Let's see where it comes out from. So, And I almost said, let's keep it away from comic books, but... Then I was like, I don't know how many actual comic book movies deal with assassins the way I was thinking they dealt with assassins in comparison to the mountain of them out there. So, yeah. 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 (laughs) I was just like, I was worried that the comic book world was going to, like, take over the list. And I was like, maybe it's not. 
Because I started yeah, coming I mean, up with all these other movies I really like, you know what I mean? So There's a couple that really focus on assassins, but yeah, you're right, I feel like it's not as predominant predominant as you would think, so. Yeah. Anyway, so let's talk about assassins next week, let's see how that goes. Um, nice. Toss this episode in the can. Absolutely. Sweet. All right. Everyone, do us a favor and check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can hit us up there, hit us up on our social media. Either way works. We are on Google, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review, which we love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be reminding you to be careful with that phone. In time, you could develop a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, everybody for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you.